Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Log Talk Radio. seasons pass, when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score, which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football History <laughs> and the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network. In conjunction with Swick Enterprises, and we're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Good Iron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Good Iron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Good Iron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150 plus years of football history and memorabilia. You can find us on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. It is at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host. He's a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian, specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Lark. He hails from Portland, Oregon. Mr. Joe Squares, Joe, welcome to the show this evening. Oh, oh Captain, we're I'm excited. Some good guests on uh, lined up on uh, on board already. A great topic, one that's near and dear to my heart. Auction season, REA ended uh, over the weekend. Just uh, it's, a, it's a good time to be a football collector, my friend. It is a big night. And it's an appropriate night, a cold winter evening here at the compound with white snow falling. The tundra is frozen and ready, and ready for the battle to begin. Big auctions, you're right, REA. Tidbits, highlights of that. I know you picked up a few things. I'm very surprised that one thing you picked up, though. Oh, we'll and which about item that would that be, Bob? Oh. That was very interesting. Share with us uh, yep. what you uh, what you found there. Well, I'm pretty sure I'm like a lot of people. REA opens, and I spend the next hour going through bidding on probably you know placing 
feeler bids on about 80 items and uh and then watching as my hopes are dashed up against you know the the you know the you know the unstoppable force of other collectors discovering the things I'm bidding on uh but uh, you know if for as big as REA was there wasn't anything there that was got to have uh it was all you know it was, it was all in that that uh, realm of this would be nice to have if the price is right uh and what I ended up with was uh was winning two items one is uh 53 Bowman uh, ungraded set. I'm starting to put together all of my all of my runs of sets ungraded. I'm uh, you know the captain's had an influence Good. on me over the years, moving away from Good. plastic and going towards you know the cards that you know that you can touch, feel, and smell that you know that are you know 67 years old. But so what a grade uh, or a, a raw ungraded 53 Bowman set. Love love that set. Three Bowman. Uh, those Bo- those Bowmans, 50, 51, 52, obviously 53, just love that run. They they start to tail off a little bit at 54 and 55, but, you know, so love the 53 Bowman set. So very happy to win that. And then I think the item that you're, that you're making fun of me about was uh, some uh, 2000 SP authentic unopened wax box uh, factory. I was shocked. <laughs> I, I was shocked when I when I read that and and you were talking about it. I was just I I, I don't know what happened to me. I, I literally the phone fell out of my hand and I said, "What's going on here?" And uh, doing a little research on it, trying to figure out what it actually was, since a uh, dinosaur and the newer yeah. stuff. Uh, I understood it was Mr. Brady's uh, iconic rookie card, which is worth probably what five ten million dollars right now if you grade it. it it's working and, that way, uh, isn't it? It's, uh, yep, it's got Brady's Amazing. rookie card. It's got Erlacher's rookie card into it, and they only made what was it, eleven hundred and fifty of each of the, you know, each of those cards. They're numbered, you know. So how many more of those are in unopened boxes? But I, I don't know. I don't know. I, it's the first modern unopened I've ever bought, and wow. it's just one of those spur of the moment things. I don't know what it was, Bob, but I felt like I wanted it. And then I threw out there that it'd be fun to open it to Chicago National when all of us get together again. Oh. And I'm pretty sure all of us could use some, uh, all of us could use some, you know, some wax breaks. Uh, you know, we all get together <laughs> for some, you know, Giordano's pizza and uh, and beer. Uh, you know, so yeah. So who knows? Maybe what? we'll do a maybe we'll pull a Tom Brady rookie card at a, at a pizza place in Chicago in in August. That would be that would just put a put a cherry on top of our on, on top of our national. It'd be great. <laughs> What would be even more so, uh, amazing if you had like box number one, you know, one of eleven fifty, oh. which probably would would it be, you know, bring the value of the car up even that much more? Or if you have like a like nine and under, you know, one uh, number one yeah. to nine type of thing, be amazing. Don't, or have the last number in the, in the sequence. Yeah. So. Don't laugh at this, but for about uh, a year, I've been saving screenshots of all the Brady, you know, the 2000 SP Brady rookie cards I can find. Just to kind of check, really? you know me, I love my spreadsheets. Uh, you know, I, I texted you over the weekend that told you that I was tracking, or I think in the last show I said I was tracking all the Gridiron Greats magazine right. by, right. you know, and they, right. you know, between when you and Frank, you know, bought it, uh, you know, they kind of changed because they used to say winter, spring you know, summer and mm-hmm. autumn, 
with mm-hmm. winter being mm-hmm. the first one. And then at some point when you took it over, you, you know, your numbering is, you know, spring, you, you know, you know, I forget it, but it, it kind of switched. Uh, yeah. Well, I switched. So I, mean, but I made it, autumn fall. Yeah. I made autumn fall. Yeah. And we, we basically kept the roughly the same sequence on it, but uh, yeah. getting, getting back to that 53 Bowman set a bit. Uh, I still remember putting the Bowmans together back in the 80s, and the toughest set I had to finish, believe it or not, was the 53 set. I, I had just a rough time finding finding any of them uh, at shows or even yep. uh, mail order or whatever back then. Uh, obviously, these was pre-internet days, and uh, it, it was it was very interesting. Out of the, all the Bowman sets, that was the last set I finished. I still haven't finished the 52 large set, but I did finish the 52 hmm. small set. Uh, pretty early on, uh, 53, uh, 52 Bowman's uh, large set. I started and stopped numerous times. I still got probably got forty or fifty cards to that set. I still haven't finished it. Yeah. I'm just not choked up about spending a lot of money for the Lancer card uh, in any condition. You know what I mean? So, but um, yep. 53. I just had a, I had a I had a rough time trying to finish that set. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. And then obviously the yeah. past when twenty I was... years. Last twenty years, there's somebody that came to the market. Now it's just it's amazing. So, yeah. But uh, when I was putting my card run together, the fifty-three was the one I I didn't complete either. I had fifty-two small. I had fifty. Uh, but I, I only made it about a third of the way through fifty-three Bowman. It, it's definitely a tough set. So, and I'm I'm yeah. collecting cards. I think I, I think as they are intended to be collected. I'm I'm getting them. I'm looking at. Them, I'm reading the stats. Good. I sent out a text to you guys, you know, about a month ago where it's like, you know, check out the 84 U.S. of Bell set, man. I didn't realize there were so many people who played for, you know, the New Jersey Generals, Herschel Walker. I mean, I think it was, yep. you know, was Steve Young on there? I was just, I, I was enjoying putting them together. And I was just looking mm-hmm. at stats and, you know, and, and you know, the, the feel, the touch, the smell, all of it. And it was just, it was fun. And, and put it all into binders. I've sent pictures out of me and my son doing it where I'm handing him cards and he's, you know, putting them in the, in the binder and, you know, well, who's this guy? You know, it's, it's kind yep. of fun. Yep. Uh, you know, that 84 USF oh, well, that I remember when it first came out at shows, it was, they were selling them for $10 a box and um, plenty of them out there. No problem. And then like fast forward a few years and all of a sudden they're one of the, the, one of the hottest commodities around in the box especially with the tape on the box. And because uh, yeah. they had like a little cellophane, for lack of a better term, cellophane on uh, tape on the flap of the box that held them together. I remember those distinctly. But I remember I bought both sets probably for 10 bucks at a show. Uh, and then mm-hmm. I made them up over the years too when I found them at the same time. But uh, I'm glad you, I'm glad you got you're getting into raw because uh, as much as great it is, you know, uh, almost uh, gospel nature now in our hobby. I still like raw cards. It's still a lot of fun to put them in sheets. Still a lot of fun to read about them, uh, read, read the backs yep. of the cards, look at them, enjoy them. And uh, I still feel that's that's the way cards, card collecting should be. However, I felt at was, the same time... I, I felt I was more a math... I'm sorry, go ahead, Bob. No, I was just going to say, at the same time, obviously there's a lot of money on the table now. Uh, to grade, yeah. especially older cards. So obviously that, that's a consideration for everybody. Yeah. I, I felt I was more amassing stuff when I was putting graded sets together. I mean, I had the cards I loved, 
you know, my, my largents, my granges, and, you know, stuff like that. But it felt like I was trying to put the 1950 Bowman set together in PSA, and I didn't appreciate it. So when I'd buy, like, three cards, I'd get them. And my joy came from going down into the black PSA, you know, uh, boxes and putting them in yeah, numerical yeah, yeah. order, updating, yeah. my, updating my registry and my spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. That's where the joy was, not reading them. And now all that's gone. And I, I I get joy in reading, you know, in in reading the names, the stats, the teams. It, it, I'm just I'm, I'm getting a lot more enjoyment out of it. And uh, you know, good. yeah, good. yeah. That's what yeah. that's, that's, yeah, that's, the, that's the fun part of the hobby. I mean, that's it. You know. Yeah. And I, I, unfortunately, Did, uh, I think a lot of a generation is missing that. It's their their only concern is chasing after the the grade number, and that's it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, how many people are buying boxes of wax? You know, putting them in their basement, hoping that it's the next 2000 SP. You know, right. and like we mentioned last last show, if you guess wrong, you know, if you hoard the 89 tops, you know, instead of the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm stunned. Right. I used to have you know a couple hundred 88 tops football. I picked them up for about three bucks a box, and now all of a sudden they're a hundred and something. And I was like, man. I shouldn't have opened so yep. much 88 Tops wax. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. You know? That's amazing. Uh, and, did you did you I'm, bid I'm, or win anything in REA? No, I didn't. I didn't touch anything. I just uh, I studied all the auctions that were out there. I did not bid on anything, but I was I was pleased to see a lot of the prices and stuff. So it was a yep. good sign. It was my, a good sign. Mile high fires off tomorrow, and uh, round one of Heritage fires off tomorrow. So yep. uh, two auctions ending tomorrow that are both uh, not a lot in not a lot in, in mile high. I mean, you've got some pretty high end graded rookie cards, but you know Heritage has a lot of unopened wax. I mean, yep. a couple series yep. of 72, 70, uh, you know, seventy six tops wax box. There's a lot of wax that's ending, and it's just. I mean, is wax back? I mean, I just I, I ask. It's fascinating, you know. Be a, be very interesting to see where all that stuff ends up. And my my gut feeling is those uh, unopened wax boxes are going to be through the roof. So uh, again, good sign for the hobby, and uh, hopefully they'll stay unopened, and or they're going to be broken, and and hopefully <laughs> there's going to be some nice cards in them, with the exception at the national, the last card. Which will have the gum on it and all gummed up and be useless. Yeah. And that's it. It, all right. It is interesting. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Bob. No, it, go ahead. I was just going to uh, say it is interesting. Be, I was I was curious too. Would the Brady number one or tw- or eleven fifty go for more than you know the seven hundred eighty four? You know, I, right. I think it would. Uh, I I honestly think it would. Yeah. So, yeah. For the roof. All right. At this time, I'd like to get started on our show. We're going to have a great show this evening. And Uh-oh. tonight's show is going to be devoted to discussing one of the most historically significant and iconic card sets in professional football. A little known set, but known to many experts and longtime yeah. hobbyists. And that is the 1926 Pets. The Maroons RPP CSET. And at this time, I'd like to introduce our special guest panel of the experts on this subject and this set. And this will include Mr. Mike McKee, 
Mr. Jeff Payne and Mr. Steve Wolf, all who are well-known in our hobby, uh, all who I'm, I'm happy to say I know personally. And it's uh, and a very, very big honor for me to have all of you guys on the show at the same time, and I want to lead off uh, by thanking you for being on the show this evening. And my yeah. first question is going to go to Mike. And, Mike, uh, thanks for being on the show this evening, making time out for us. And Thank you. I'm Thank you for having me. I'm going to ask you straight out. You've been putting this set together for almost a decade, and including a near set from the Williams in 2012 you split with another collector. When did you first see this set and recognize the significance historically in our hobby and in the game of football with it? Uh, well, the first time that I saw it was on eBay. Well, not the full set, but there were three cards that a guy had listed. I had never seen them before, but I uh, immediately when I saw them, I knew that they had to be a pro football set based on the age of the guys. And uh, they were all portraits. We've all seen them at this point. But uh, the guy did list that they were Pottsville, but I wasn't sure about it because I had never seen them before. Uh, but they were identified. Uh, the three cars were Millman, Young Flesh, and Jawish. Um, I immediately went to the Roger Treat Football Encyclopedia because at the point in time that these come on was about the year 2000. So it was, I think I got on eBay in about 1997. So it was a couple years in uh, for me being on eBay. And uh, I ended up, I won all three of them between 150 to $200 a piece. Uh, and I looked up in the Roger Creed Encyclopedia and I found that they had to be 26 because the guy didn't list that. Um, but because uh, Young Flesh and Jawish weren't on the team in 25. So um, I, I was excited. I was really stoked to get these things because immediately I said, this, this is the first NFL set that was ever produced. Um, so uh, the guy ended up directing me to another collector because he had bought them off of a guy – that was purchasing Zaka's collection. Uh, the guy I bought him from lived in Pottsville, and he was buying, you know, piecemeal over time uh, items from this guy, and including these postcards. And these these were duplicates. So he had sold them to a dealer. I I had subsequently found out, and he he had mentioned that there was another one, but I'm almost positive the other one with some emails that I had with Jeff Payne. The other one was Duke Osborne, which is a pretty significant card. My guess is uh, he sold that to a Penn State collector who I know, and uh, that's, uh, that was the first one. And then he took the other three and, and put them on eBay, and that's how I got them. So I bought the three that were put on eBay. Uh, and then uh, the guy, I asked the guy, well, who is this person that you bought these from? And he basically told me, oh, he has like a handle. I, I don't know his name. Pottsville for life or something like that. I can't even remember what the guy's handle was. But I ended up, I found him on eBay, and that began my relationship with the guy that was buying the stuff directly from Zaka. And he sold me the majority. I mean, he told me that it was all of the ones that he were duplicates for him. But he was continuously buying things. He was going into the house, buying piecemeal from Zaka's collection. And me and him had talked about it the entire time when he was doing this while he was buying things. And he, was, he would bounce things off of me. What do you think this is worth? What do you think that's worth? And 
So, I mean, we, wow. I had a pretty good rapport with this guy. And as he was buying this stuff, including, uh, including the boot, uh, the Charlie, you know, and the, it was it was some incredible stuff. I didn't get to see all the stuff. Um, I mean, because things were a little different then. We're talking 2000. It was hard to take photographs. I mean, uh, you know, so it wasn't a situation where somebody could take a bunch of photographs and just send them on to you like you can today. I mean, it was basically mm-hmm. descriptions of the stuff. I went back and forth whether or not do I want to try to like, you know, try to contact Zacco. And I decided, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to play it cool and I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get what this guy doesn't want. And that's how I did it. And uh, so, uh, but I mean, the Pottsville, I, I fell in love with these cards. I mean, because, well, I like things that are unique, uh, things that aren't really known to the rest of the hobby, one of a kind items. And, and this set is just, I mean, there's, it's so rich in history of uh, the NFL, you know, there's a scandal involved, mm-hmm. you know, a stolen championship. I mean, if you could call a, a football card set sexy, this would be it. Um, <laughs> yep. I like that. I like that. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. That is a great way to put it. <laughs> and, uh, so. you know, uh, you know, that's where I pretty much learned all about the set off of this guy. I mean, because he was buying it directly from the source of where these came from. Some of this was, you know, us surmising what exactly happened. I mean, some of it he got, he, he couldn't remember exactly why some of the cards, uh, it, when he was talking to Zacco, why they were, why they were written. Ra- racist comes to mind because he had Yale written beside his name. Well, racist was a Sandlot player. He never went to college, and that's why mm-hmm. me and this guy surmised that this must have been a set that was either, you know, the, the ones that I was buying were the ones that had writing on the bottom in a little bit lesser condition. I, I mean, they had usually had pinholes in them, put on, and they must have been put on some type of a board or something like that, or the kids played with mm-hmm. them or whatever the case is. Now, we, we've come, you know, through some of our discussions in this. That's become known as the kids set. Uh, you know, that they had the writing on them or whatever. But, I mean, um, that's obviously surmised from, you know, conversations that I had with this guy and, you know, his what he thought probably happened. I mean, we don't know that for sure, whether or not they possibly – maybe they were posted in the Zacco Sporting Goods store. Who knows? They might have been tacked up and somebody just said, oh, yeah – you know, I think Frankie Racist went to Yale, you know, so they wrote it down. Whether or not that was true or not, obviously it wasn't. Right. But, I mean, but, you know, that, that's how I uh, I ended up. I was exposed to the set, and the same guy ended up selling. The, he kept, like, a set for himself, and he ended up deciding to sell it through Leland's, okay? And those are the ones mm-hmm. that came up in, I don't know, probably about seven to ten years ago, which I I also – I split that set with another collector. So, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I, I, I've owned a ton of these cards um, over time, and I, I think I have five of them now that I left. I'm not much of a set collector. I'm more of a player collector. So, um, yeah. you know, that's that's my history of the set uh, that, you know, early on. Wow. Well, that's a, that's an amazing story. And the uh, auction you're, you're referring to was in 2012. With Leland's, um, where they had that near set up for auction, 
And uh, that that was that was an amazing auction, if you really think about it, because that to me was probably one of the, the first times that ever reached the market to a, a more of a mass market, uh, and became somewhat known at the same time. So that, that's an amazing pickup yeah. on your part, Mike. That's great. Well, yeah, it was it, as far as I know, it was the first time. I mean, nobody really knew much about yeah. the set. The the collector that I you know I broke them down with. He knew about it because I had told him about it. I basically kept the set secret. I, I didn't say anything about it just because I was trying to complete it at that time. And I was fascinated right. by it. And I, I love the set, and I still do. I mean, over time, I've, I've, I've sold a lot of the cards, but it, it's definitely something that's near and dear to me still today. But, Mike, no checklist at the time. So you you didn't know. Uh, there's no checklist. O- only recently, you know, have we put a checklist together for this. You had no idea if it was a whole team or part of the team or like the 18 that we know. Well, there was something that I had I found on the internet that had pictures of all of the cards from the set that I believe, if I can remember correctly, I haven't seen it in a, a long time, but it was how I was able to determine how many cards were in the set. It inclu- the mm-hmm. picture included the Barry, but it was on, I believe, either the New York uh, Public uh, Public Library site, or it might have been on the uh, the National Library from the Smithsonian. I had a picture wow. of the set. Mm-hmm. So I ended up, I found it, because, you know, it, at that time, this was early on. There wasn't a whole lot. Obviously, the Internet was active at that time, but nowhere near the volume of information. Yeah was on there right. in 2000, 2003, as there is now. Right. Good point. Right. All right. Well, next up, Mr. Mr. Payne. Am I, am I pronouncing that right? Is it Payne? You got it, Joe. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing very good. Uh, I'm, I'm kidding, obviously. Hey, Jeff, how are you? <laughs> doing well. Uh, uh, you've been... You've, been on the show a few times obviously uh you know guest you know guest uh co-host you know when when i'm when i'm out uh so you're you're very familiar we've had you we had you on a couple shows ago to talk about this uh but february 2020 uh hunt sold the complete set that you and steve uh you know took down and it got chopped up you you steve and myself actually tell us about i mean just Seeing it, just that process of you know putting something like that together, just the euphoria, the holy crap, you know the the, the game day auction, all of it, just what a what a what a cool story. Yeah, no, um, you know, uh, fortunately, I got to know Mike McKee, and as you can tell, he's pretty passionate about this set, and I was <laughs> fortunate enough to pick up from him probably over, gosh, a six-year period, maybe seven years. I don't know how long we've been doing deals together, but I was able to pick up over that time from him 15 of the 18 in the set, and I got pretty oh, wow. passionate about them as well. So I I was missing the, you know, what they call the three big dogs, Charlie Berry, Tony Latone, and Barney Lentz. And, you know, I'm a, I am a set collector, so I hate when I have a set that's not complete. And when the hunt auction popped up with this, you know, framed, complete set that included, of course, the Barry, Latone, and Wentz, and all the others, and it belonged to legendary football collector Ducat is the story, and he, you know, maybe put this together. I'm not sure who put 
put the frames together. But when I saw it, I was like, gosh, this might be the only time in my lifetime that I'm going to get an opportunity yeah. to finish the set. So it's kind of now or never, right? But, you know, the problem was is I only needed three of them. And I knew they weren't going to go cheap. And I really didn't want the rest of them, <laughs> um, you know, because then I'd have to figure out what to do with them. So I went out looking for some people that might be interested in splitting it up. You know, my only criteria was, you know, I just said, I got to have these three. I don't care who, you know, takes the rest of them, but we need to put a group together. And I like doing groups like that. I think it's kind of fun yeah. to you know, go after something together. And so, you know, I made a few calls, and, and you, Joe, and you, Steve, popped up as being interested, and you guys kind of pretty much said, yeah, we'll take the rest. So I was like, well, I guess, you know, my job is done here. Um, but, of course, the problem was then you got to figure out how you're going to make it all work. And I guess what I've learned, because I've done quite a few group purchases like this now, is there's kind of three things you got to resolve, and I think you resolve them up front. Um, first, got to decide, of course, who's going to end up with what. Or an approach to splitting them up later if you decide you're going to do a draft or something after, you know, you win it. But you got to decide, you know, how you're going to split them up, right? you got to kind of decide what the relative pricing is for the cards, right? Because you want to make sure it's fair to everybody in the stars or, you know, weighted appropriately versus the commons. And everybody kind of agrees that, you know, regardless of the final price, everybody's kind of happy with the split. And then, of course, you got to come to a max bid agreement on, you know, what is everybody comfortable, you know, going yeah. at this at, right? And, and everybody's got to agree. Otherwise, you know, you, you can't really move forward. And, you know, good news was this was a pretty easy group. I mean, you know, you, Joe, and you, Steve, you guys are uh, great to work with. And I know we built a couple spreadsheets, and we passed around information, <laughs> and we put some pricing in, and we went back and forth. It was a lot of fun. And we kind of came up with something we all agreed to, and um, and we won. So that was great. Now, usually that would be the end of the story, but, of course, this thing was framed. We didn't know how it was framed. We didn't know if it was glued. We didn't know how it was attached. Yeah. We didn't know if the fronts were glued, the backs were glued. We had no information. And so we cooked up this crazy idea. Um, you know, Hunt Auctions headquarters is in Pennsylvania. You know, Steve's in PA. I'm close by in Virginia. So we agreed that we would go up and his wife came as well because she had some experience um, with framing and matting and things like that. She was going to help us tear this thing apart. And we were basically going to sit at Hunt Auctions. And we asked if they had a table. We were going to open it up. We were going to snoop around and assess it and figure out, okay, how is all this put together? How do we, how do we split these things up without damaging the cards? And so we did that. They were glued to the back as was suspected, another collector had mentioned yep. that some of the other Ducat stuff um, that had been won in previous auctions, the stuff was glued to the back. So he totally hadn't really cared about, you know, the cards. I never would have done that, you know, my wildest dreams would I have glued something like that to, to a to backing. But, hey, it was a different era probably when that was done. And so we chopped it up. You know, Steve, you know, he can comment. He, he and his wife took home theirs. You know, I took home mine and yours, Joe, and, and then the next day I packaged up and sent you a little, um, you know, late Christmas present, I guess, in February uh, for you to yeah. uh, and what an iconic, And what an iconic photo of you and Steve at Hunt holding this framed 
saying, I and you were texting me along this way. I absolutely love that photo. It's just, it made me smile. <laughs> did we add a, a largin? Did we throw a largin in there too? Yeah, you did. You know? Yes, we did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you gentlemen, you gentlemen did me did me well. I mean, it's such a nod to you know to the Hall of Fame wide receiver Steve Largin. Thank you for putting. I think it was a, a, a sticker, as an '87 sticker or something you put next to the you know. You know, 26 <laughs> possible maroons, <laughs> but yeah, how idea. cool is that? Good idea. But well done, gentlemen. Where do you where do you think uh, the autographs came from on this particular set? Mm. That is the million dollar question, right? It, the, all of the cards were autographed, uh, and I kind of had hoped that some of the a couple of them had additional information other than the yep you know, the players' names, and I was kind of hoping that that would lead us to where this thing came from because we don't know, you know, before Ducat, you know, where did it come from? Where did he get it from? How did it uh-huh. get from, you know, possible to him? And th- we have not figured out um, what the inscri- inscriptions, what they point to, unfortunately, yet. So um, we, what are the we don't know. talk about a beer, talks about a beer. I mean, you've mm-hmm. done you- – you're probably the you know the 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 person who knows the most about this set, uh, you know, and the Pottsville Maroons. I mean, you've done research on Zacco and it sort of. I mean, one one inscription reads like "I love that beer" or something, and you trace that back to a, a phrase. What what is that? Yeah, it it says that Bohemian beer, which I thought was a good telling. Like, and why would you why would you write it out like that? So you're writing that out probably to somebody who maybe you're at a a, a uh, um, you know, you're you're at a brewery. You know, and first thing I thought, of course, was Yingling, right? Because it's in, in yeah. Costco, and so you know, I went out looking, and <clears throat> and I think it said to David or something. You know, it had the word yeah. David, the name David, and this Bohemian beer thing. And so I I looked like crazy in the history of Yingling and anybody associated with them. You know, I thought maybe this was some sort of a get-together by players or something. I didn't know. Came up completely empty there. And then the other one that struck me was um, there's a beer out of Baltimore called National Bohemian. And the mm-hmm. phrase that Barty Wentz, when he autographed his card, he's the one that did it, it said, oh, boy, love that Bohemian beer. And that's almost the exact tagline of National Bohemian Beer back, you know, yep. decades ago. And so the other thing I thought was, well, gosh, this sounds like they're in Baltimore at this, you know, at this um, brewery or someone from the brewery owns these and came to some of them. Or I can't find any David associated with the lineage of that brewery either. And so it's kind of a mystery at this point as to what, kind of where this Love came it. from. I'm hoping someday we figure it out. Yeah. That's amazing. Steve. You're up, and I'm going to ask you, why is this set so important to football history? And give us some background and fill us in more from your perspective on this uh, maroon set. Well, thanks, Bob. Um, I think uh, Mike touched on one of the points uh, a few minutes ago. Um, A lot of football collectors uh, think of the 1935 National Chickle set as the first uh, football card set. Um, and then before that, you had the Walkers Packers cleaners in the 31-32 time frame. 
but this maroon set that was that was produced in 1926 is the first set of postcards uh, or cards of any kind um, for uh, an NFL team. They were all NFL players and only NFL players. Um, so that makes it that makes it very important six years after the start of the, the NFL. But more than that, um, Fritz Pollard, who uh, was a Hall of Fame player from that time, once said uh, that you have three types of football at that time. You had your college, your pro, and your coal field football. And uh, the coal fields of Pennsylvania, um, the hard scrabble miners and uh, steel workers from this part of the country that really helped build the industrial uh, heart of America, um, the Pottsville Maroons are the strongest echo from that part of early NFL history. So I think they're really important uh, in the development of the NFL. And um, it was alluded to earlier as well, the, the kind of controversy around their championship in 1925, um, where they, uh, they beat the Chicago Cardinals 21 to seven, uh, the best team in what was considered the West of the NFL. And they, uh, Ended up having advertisements, you know, in newspapers nationwide, uh, headlines saying, you know, Pottsville is the NFL's champion. And they had reached this agreement with uh, Frankfurt to play the Four Horsemen, the best team in the East. Um, and they played the Four Horsemen without some of their best players and with Tony Lestone hurt. Um, and they beat them 9-7. to seven. Um but they played them in Shy Park and there was a controversy over territory and um, they were suspended and the Chicago Cardinals played a few more games and ended up with a, a one game advantage in the win column and became the, the kind of contested champions. But um, beating the four horsemen of Notre Dame, um, that all-star team, uh, really put the National Football League on the map, and it was one of the things, along with Grange and his barnstorming tour and the ability for him to draw crowds, it was one of those things that really kind of brought the NFL um, to the forefront um, and made them uh, an equal um, with college at the time, which was thought to be a few right. few decades right. ahead. So. <clears throat> And you come back in 1926, and the Maroons had a tremendous football team. They finished 10-2-2, and and they shut out 11 NFL teams. <laughs> they had a tie, 0-0. Wow. Uh, but, wow. I mean, imagine a team with 11 shutouts. I mean, they gave up 29 right. points in 14 NFL games. Um, tremendous football team. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, great, really amazing. great summary, Steve. You, that, that's almost like the preface of a book. You just You just read it. Amazing summary, man. Well done. That, it's there's a quote somewhere I remember from Red Grange uh, where they asked, you know, what the hardest team he played was, and he mentioned, the, you know, the Maroons. He's like, I, he goes, I'd never been tackled so hard. I, I think he left the game after the first quarter because it, it, it hurt. <laughs> he's like, those boys hurt. Uh, you know, he's, he's like, I don't, you couldn't pay me enough to go back and play another, you know, another coal miner team. You know, it just you know, I'm I'm slaughtering it, but that's the gist of it. Pretty, you know, yeah, it kind of reinforces what you're saying. So, but Mike, you and I were talking the other day. I, I I didn't even put two and two together, but you know, a couple of years ago, uh, you bought a set minus the Barry and Latone, and I think you said it was like 2014 from the Wentz family, and you'd mentioned the Wentz family. And I didn't put two and two together that that was player Barney Wentz's family, and and, and it was just like the epiphany. I'm like, 
how cool is that to actually buy the personal collection from a player on the team? Uh, tell us about that. I mean, and then, you know, if Wentz had a, had a set and Zacho had a set, uh, you know, how many other sets do you think are out there? Uh, well, yeah, I did. I ended up, I got a uh, call from a collector. I was actually in Allentown because I set up at a show. Uh, and I've been doing this for a long time, uh, setting up at the Allentown Paper Show. And a friend of mine called me up and he said, uh, there's something you might be interested in that showed up at uh, the Adamstown Extravaganza. And what it was, was Barney Wentz's, uh, one of Barney Wentz's family members brought the entire set out with, the, with some stuff from Wentz's time at Penn State, along with the 25 uh, Pottsville Panorama. So I ended up, I got the guy's number. I ended up going over to his, I guess it would have been his girlfriend's house. And uh, me and my wife went over uh, and uh, looked at the set. And I'll tell you what, I was just floored. I mean, you know, I, I had gone, and this was, this was after I had already bought the ones out of Leland's. So I had yeah. seen a lot of these cards before. But, I mean, uh, the condition on these was really unbelievable. I mean, none of them were autographed yeah. that I can remember correctly. But the condition was just, just blew me away. And I remember setting them out on this guy's table, his makeshift table that we got set up in the, in the living room and laying all the cards out around the panorama. Because as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm a card guy. That's where my roots are. But I mean, I love yeah. memorabilia, like one of a kind things a little bit more than I like cards. But I mean, I obviously respect the rarity and, you know, the greatness of these cards because I do love them. They were one of my favorite card sets that I ever tried to complete. But, I mean, I had them all out and a bunch of the photos. Man, I remember talking about it. There was was these dogs. uh, She had like three or four little dogs, and they kept barking and yipping. And and we were going back and forth on price. And I swear when I made the offer to them, everything stopped, including the dogs started stop barking because evidently it was a good it was a good it was a good number and they liked it and i ended up i was able to make a deal with them at, at the house and it was a lot they didn't seem to know to be quite honest with you much about barney wentz i mean other than you know they mentioned that that it was it was from a relative i mean there was no good stories i i wish there were i, I guess i could have made up a couple but decided not to <laughs> It's not too late. It's not too late. Bob can add that in. I mean, is it it special to you? Is it special to you to actually, that was Barney Wentz's personal set. Does that that have some significance? And I mean, and do you think there are, you know, 22 other complete sets out there that each player got their own set? You know, it's really hard to say. My guess is, well, I mean, the majority of the cards that are out there came from Zacco because, I mean, yeah. the ones that I, I bought in the Leland's and also all the other ones. So I, in essence, bought two sets from, that came directly from Zaka. And then there was a, the Wentz set out there. There obviously was a set out there that, that Duke Hot owned. But, you know, how that came to be, my guess is each player was offered a set. Maybe they had to pay for it. Don't know. Mm. Uh, but, I mean, they were obviously offered to the players since Wentz had one. Um, whether or not every player got one, every even maybe some of the players could care less. I don't know. Um, you know, so I, I would think if 
I mean, it's all conjecture. I mean, I, I, I could make a statement, but I, I hesitate to do that because I don't know. I, I wasn't there, you know, when they were when they were, you know, produced or divvied out among the among the players. But I mean, obviously, I think that the players had an option to get them if they wanted them. Whether or not everybody did, my guess would be probably not. But who knows? So, so again, the Wentz family set minus the Barry and Latone. Um, yeah. Two of the big three. Why is which that? Is an ex- which is an extreme oddity because the guy that I talked to, this is going back to the guy that bought all the stuff from Zaka, he questioned whether or not the um, the Barry card even existed. I mean, he had two Latones because um, one of them was sold in Leland's and I have I have one. So he had two Latones. So he had he had basically a two full sets. I think there might have been one that was missing. He might have only had one Keneally. But, um, you know, it might have only had one Wentz for whatever reason. But, I mean, um, you know, why? He, he said, I'm not even sure if a Barry exists. And then I found that picture of all the cards that came from the New York Public Library or from the Smithsonian. And I forwarded it to him. And I'm saying, I think it does exist. It was It's on this, this image here. And he goes, yeah, I, I agree with you, but I've never seen one. And Zacco seemed to say, if I can remember correctly, he seemed to say that he never had one. Why? I don't know. I mean, but I'm not sure. I mean, obviously it exists because Jeff has one. But, I mean, it, it's, a, it's an uh, oddity about the story. Who knows? Right. Jeff, and that, that leads us to, to, for me to ask you, your spreadsheet is amazing because you basically tracked the 58 known examples of the cards from the four sets and also an odd cursive set. Uh, give us a little quick background on that, on your tracking of those pieces and significance on it also. Yeah, so I'm up to 60 now. So we've added two okay. right. talked a, a bit ago. Um yeah, basically, I'm I'm a spreadsheet geek. I love spreadsheets, and so, you know, what I wanted to figure out was where did all these different cards? And you know, we've we've talked a little bit about a set that Joe Zacco owned, um, one that appears that his kids wrote on, which is a separate set. You can tell the the difference just because you know of some of the writing that's on it, or a stamp on the back, or whatever. They have a signature. Then, of course, you've got the Barney Wentz set that Mike mentioned, they are in beautiful condition. Um, they're just awesome. I mean, he must not have touched them for, you know, mm. uh, what, yeah. you know, 80 years? Oh. I don't know. But they're just in perfect condition. I have some of those. <clears throat> and then you have, of course, the Duke Pot set, which we don't really know where it came from. And then you have this one oddball card that Joe has, right? Joe, you have this card of, I think it's Russ Hathaway, where somebody type on it with a cursive typewriter. I call it the cursive font set. Um, and it has his name. It has what you know university he went to. It has some information about his pro career. All types with like a purpley pink, like a, you know, a, a retro kind of an ink. You know, those typewriters were popular, you know, 16s-ish, right? Um, and what, what I can't figure out is, is that another set and there's more like that out there? Or did you know, did somebody pull that one out and, and you know, uh, you know just right. put that on there to see what it would look like or whatnot? But, 
But one of the interesting things about the spreadsheet is I've created this thing I call the chain of custody. So you're, I mean, everybody's hearing the, these collectors, particularly Mike, who was instrumental in helping with this, is like, where did yeah. all these come from? What's the chain of command? Where did it come from? And I've tried to track the, you know, from Zacco or from Lentz or whatever, who touched the card? Where did it go? How did it get there? And where does it live now? So kind of a, a complete providence if you will, of the card and where it went and where it came from, which is kind of cool. Um, I've got that for most of the cards now at this point, um, which you know, I'm kind of maintaining. And I know there's people out there that have these. I know it because I personally believe that these were all complete sets. And I personally believe that the reason we don't see the Charlie Berries and a few of the other cards that are less um, of a population is because they got cherry-picked. That's my belief, right? I mean, if you're going to cherry pick a card all the way around, some of these cards have touched four or five hands by the time they got to who owns them now, from my calculation. Somebody along the way said, hey, look at this, Charlie Berry. And whoop, out of the set it went, and the rest of them moved on. You know, same with Jack Ernst. There's only two Jack Ernsts out there. Um, yeah. And some of the other cards. And I think that's what mm-hmm. happened to them personally, but we're just speculating, right? Well. And we brought it up before. I mean, how many cards get lost to fires, to floods, to you know, insects mm-hmm. in, in, uh, in attics, exactly. just thrown out, uh, paper drives? I mean, this was, we're coming up on 95 years ago. I mean, yep. so, yeah, it, it, yeah, everything you mentioned is entirely possible. Uh, is there another set that you've immersed yourself in like this, Jeff? Because, I mean, you, like I said, I tip my hat to you. You, you are – you're, you could write a book at this point about Zacco and his life. I mean, you know, just the, the, the amount of knowledge you, you've dug up and, and, and written down is incredible. Well, thanks, Joe. I mean, what I try to do is when I complete a set, I always write it up. Now, if it's like, you know, 1985 tops, the write-up real short. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, there's just not that much to talk about. But if it's a set that there's nothing else out there that's written up about it, I'll put this one in there. Yep. Yep. I put the yeah. um, the Williams Packers, you know, the Williams portraits that I wrote an article for Gridiron Greats for last edition. There was nothing out there that went through meticulously and talked about the set and researched where it could have come from, all the pieces around it. And I just like that history, right? I like history. So usually when I complete a set, I start thinking about, all right, time to write it up. And some of these sets you get into, and it's like a rabbit hole. You just go down and down and down, and you can't find the bottom. And, you know, this this set's been one of them, and I'm working on an article for Gridiron Greats on this set. Beautiful. I love the name drop there. Steve, you know, we've touched on this a little bit, but in your opinion, how how many sets do you think are out there? And then you get, like, like Jeff said, that Hathaway card where it's, you know, individually posted and addressed to a player like Hathaway. Uh, how many sets are out there? What's your, what's your opinion on this? How many, how many are there waiting out there to be discovered? Well, I hope there's at least a couple more out there waiting to be discovered. <laughs> uh, but, boy. With our luck, Michael. Because I'd really like to get the Charlie Berry. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think that's that's the sixty four thousand dollar question. I mean, um, I I think Mike Mike touched on a number of things earlier. Uh, I, I do think that there's a good chance that the uh, players were either given a set or, or offered a set. 
Um, when the Maroons won the championship in 1925, Coach Roush gave each of the players uh, a cowl, and one of those was sold at the Hunt auction. It had in, in February, it had a 1925 World's Champions uh, across the back. Um, the players were given coal fobs in 1928 that were engraved. Um, and the the way that those coal fobs were treated might give us some insight into what happened to some of these sets. Um, you know, it's been written that mm. some players uh, threw them off the back of the train um, because they, they wanted – money i mean let's be honest money makes the world go round so um yeah. so some of the players unfortunately discarded those kind of flippantly and other players kept theirs and you know they've come down through time and been collected so um so there's very, probably very between that and yeah between that and and like uh like you guys often talk about on the show um paper drives for the war and just the fact that these things other than the one that you found um that has some very nice adornment on it it's got Hathaway, uh, University of Indiana, 2526. Uh, and then at the bottom, it has Pottsville Maroons, National uh, League Champs, 1925, and first All-Star game. So someone like Joseph, or Jeff was saying, you know, uh, stamped that or otherwise typed it on the front. Um, and it would be great uh, if we could find another example like that, particularly yeah. where we already know that there are four that exist um, from the current set, because that would definitively mean that there's another one out there. Um, yep. uh, yeah, I mean, to me, this this set's, I mean, some of the best moments I've had in the hobby have happened because of this set. I mean, you mentioned <laughs> earlier the photo of, of Jeff and I holding the, the Ducat uh, full set with the program, um, and just the idea of taking over the conference room at at hunt auctions for like two and a half hours to cut that thing up with Susan. I mean, we, we brought in bags of stuff um, cause we didn't know what we were going to, going to encounter. So we had, you know, exacto knives and scissors and straight edges and, Oh, it was just, it was just amazing. Um, and, Steve uh, Largent cards. And, yeah. The Steve Largent card, of course. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and meeting Mike, um, kind of right before the COVID shutdown, I drove out to Somerset and met him and bought the, the Barney Wentz from the Barney Wentz set, which is really cool to me because oh, I was born beautiful. in Pottsville. My wife was born in Pottsville and um, Barney Wentz, you know, he, he grew up in and lived uh, just a couple miles away from where my wife uh, grew up. So yeah. to me, those, those, those folks are, are local heroes. So the set's kind of sentimental to me for that, that perspective as well. Amazing. All right, we're we're almost uh, we're we're down to like five minutes, and so we got a couple more questions, so we're going to make this quick. Mike, um, sixty seconds or less. The only card you've never not seen is the bearing. Quick comment on that. Mike, Mike, uh, yeah, I mean, sixty seconds or less. By the way. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. Uh, but the, the bearing card, Mike. yeah. <laughs> I have uh, I have no idea what to say about that card other than I mean uh, I I think that there's a good possibility what Jeff alluded to previously that people cherry pick the card very much well might be the truth. Yeah, he was the star. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I mean for even even Zacco to say I don't know if it exists. I mean, you know, right. I mean maybe right. his memory was fading. Obviously, he had them printed, and stamped, but man. Yeah, he's he's the star power. Fascinating, isn't it? I love this yeah, set. It's, it's I love rare, the it's a rare it. set. Yeah. yeah, beyond rare. There's 60 copies known of it, and 
one one copy you know i mean what is it there's you know one copy of the berry that jeff has there's several that have only two copies and you know threes and fours i mean yeah good luck if you're a completionist you know uh wow but yeah it must feel good i mean all these including that hathaway that typeset hathaway that they were talking about you bought that at a you bought that at a show so yeah, I bought that at the Allentown man. Paper Show. Yeah, I yeah. bought that at the Allentown Paper Show off of a postcard dealer, uh, probably about well after I had bought. It was previous to the Leland sale, but after this, after the uh, after the purchase from, uh, from directly from the Zacco uh, Zacco Estate, so somewhere wow. in the twenty tens, I'm guessing. The, the euphoria of finding that uh, with, with a postcard dealer, yeah. Jeff, all, you're, all of us are members of a website that you started, uh, and we are very thankful for you for herding the cats on this. Tell us a little bit about that, please. Yeah, so Vintage Football Community, VFC. Um, I started it two and a half years ago with a lot of encouragement from a lot of you guys. You know, just because there's not really a home for football card collectors, football hobbyists, football historians. You know, we're always relegated to a small piece of a baseball forum. That was getting really old. The real question was, how would you structure it so enough people would engage that you get good volume? Because on the baseball types of forums, you don't see a lot of traction with football stuff. And so, you know, I kind of got set up finally with the football-oriented forums sat down one day and kind of tried to write up a, all right, well, how would this work and how could it work and what am I betting is going to make people come and stay and whatever. And kind of out of that came VFC. And it's a place for hobbyists to talk football 24-7, whether you're into 1800s, pre-war, post-war, vintage, modern. We don't care, right? It's for everybody. And we have over 100 members. We want more members, though. We want people that are active. We call it a community because it's about sharing. It's about talking about sets like this or any set, right? Um, and it's about just having fun with each other in the hobby. So we do fun things like Secret Santa and Fantasy Football and did a dinner at the National in 2019. We've had collectors at people's houses. We met up at shows. Again, I'm, I'm reaching out. If you're interested in football, you want to share, talk about the hobby, you will not believe the amount of content on this site. Yep. Um, and every and month, so I just uh, more you. and more posts, more and more threads. A lot of, yep. a lot of good yeah. people on there sharing a lot of good knowledge. Yeah, we average That's over great. 75 news every month. You know, I calculated after the first year, we generated as much new threads and traffic as most of the football forums on baseball sites that are orders of magnitude larger than we are, won't do in, in five years. So it is a great place, and I encourage people, if you're interested, reach out to me and, and get involved. It's just a lot of fun. And it's a place yep. where we talk yep. about these kind of sets, and, and I get ideas for my articles. So, you know, it helps me also think through the articles that I'm trying to write to support Bob and Grenada and Grace magazine, um, you know, because there's just so many knowledgeable collectors. And, Jeff, you have my right, name for Secret Santa, so send me that very, please. Yeah, yeah, it's in the mail. It's on the way to you. <laughs> All right, guys. We're basically out of time. I want to thank Mike McKee, Jeff Payne, and Steve Wolf for an incredible show this evening with regards to the set. Uh, unbelievable amount of information. Down to 20 seconds. Joe, 10 seconds. 
our two-minute warning well, and wrap-up. Well Quickly. done, gentlemen. Thank you for all three of you coming together and talking hobby. Thank you. It was great. I truly appreciate it. It was one of our best shows that we ever did. Gridiron Greats Magazine is United subscriber. What are you waiting for? GridironGreatsMagazine.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with one more show before the end of the year. Take care. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.